the saucer pass. McAvoy to Kane. Colby Kane gets his first National Hockey League goal. Welcome to Shotgun Sports Hockey Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Chad, a.k.a. Sick of Your Schmidt. With me is Trevor, a.k.a. Marvelous Thornton. How are we doing, guys? We are admins with Shotgun Sports and now excited to bring you good content to the podcast. Before we get started today, I want to say on behalf of the Shotgun family, we send our deepest condolences to Colby Cave and his family and the entire Edmonton Oilers organization. As most of you know, Colby Cave died at age 25 from a brain breathe last Saturday. With that said, Trev, I know you're pretty stoked about who we have today, so why don't you kick this off and introduce him? All right, guys. Um, I've been a fan of this particular guest for a very long time, as long as I've been watching Sharks games. And um, without further ado, I'd like to present Sharks broadcasting legend and NBC caster, Randy Hahn. How are you, gentlemen? Good. How you doing, Randy? Uh, we're doing great. Just uh, sheltering in place and uh, washing my hands every five or six minutes. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Randy. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, where you, uh, how you got to where you are, a little bit about your career, kind of a brief synopsis of everything. Uh, well, I actually started um, in broadcasting. I was fortunate when I was in high school. I was 15 years old, and I got a part-time job at a radio station in Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory in Canada, where I was uh, living at the time. And worked at a very small radio station there and got just a crazy opportunity to uh, do the broadcast of a dog sled race in the middle of the winter at a winter carnival up there. <laughs> and um, and I uh, didn't do the play-by-play. It was, uh, as Bob Miller, the Hall of Fame broadcaster formerly of the L.A. Kings said, it was the paw-by-paw. But anyway, that was how I started my broadcasting uh, way back then uh, in the early 70s. Um, went on to the University of British Columbia in Vancouver for college. And while I was there, started working in radio in Vancouver. Um, got an opportunity to work on the post game of the Vancouver Canucks broadcasts way back then. Uh, then moved on to Edmonton, where I got my first television job uh, and was a sports anchor there for a few years, which was actually, actually my original hometown. Uh, went there uh, and, among other things, worked on the Oilers broadcasts on radio but also uh, began doing play-by-play on television of soccer. And that's really where I did uh, my, my first um, play-by-play work of any magnitude was indoor and outdoor soccer, first in the NASL, the North American Soccer League, and then in the MISL, the Major Indoor Soccer League. So from Edmonton, I moved on to San Diego and uh, did indoor soccer there for about 10 years. And the team I broadcast for, the San Diego Soccers, won the championship in the league nine of those 10 years. So every year we were winning rings and winning championships. And it certainly helped bring what I was doing to the forefront a little bit more because of the success the team had. And through that, I was able to uh, start doing the U.S. national uh, soccer team games on television uh, and did the World Cup in 1990 in Italy uh, for TNT Sports. Uh, Then in 1991, I did the first Women's World Cup in China for um, Sports Channel America. Then in 94, did the World Cup in the US for ESPN and ABC and kind of kept my hand in soccer as long as I could until I uh, got the Sharks job. Prior to that, I was on the LA Kings pregame intermissions and post games, got the Sharks job in the early 90s. And as that took more and more of my time, I did less and less soccer. So that's a brief synopsis of the career track. And this was 
and hopefully still is if it uh, comes off pause here, my 29th year uh, doing Sharks games. That's incredible. Wow. So, Congratulations. so were you there for the Brandy Chastain Nike sponsorship win? I, I did not broadcast that game. I watched it on television. Oh, okay. uh, the, the, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup I did in 1991, Brandy Chastain was 16 or 17 years old. And she was on that uh, she was on that squad, but was not a key player. She was one of the young players that didn't really see that much uh, time. Uh, Karen Jennings was one of the stars. Michelle Akers uh, was another one of the stars of that 91 World Cup team. And they did win the gold medal uh, in China. So they didn't get the publicity that that Brandy and that uh, team later did when they won their World Cup. But the U.S. had good women's soccer teams going way back to the early 90s. Oh, they still do. I mean, Alex is one of my favorite players. So, <laughs> Well, that's a pretty impressive resume you got there. We're super excited to have you on the show. We want to thank you for being on the show. We've got some questions and some news articles that we weren't owned by, and we're super stoked to have you uh, to have insight from inside the league. Uh, with that said, so... On Wednesday, Gary Bettman had a interview with Fox Business Network, and he said, my guess at this point is we're probably going to be playing into the summer, which is something that we can certainly do. Randy, what are your thoughts on delaying the season, the start well, of the season? Sorry. The, yeah, it's uh, – well, I think uh, there's two parts to this. One, the completion of the current season and playoffs that's on pause right now. And then it's how that will impact next season. I think the first thing is uh, it's going to be very unpredictable as to when and where people will be allowed to gather again in large numbers as in a hockey arena. Uh, I, I suspect as we begin to roll into normalcy again or the new normal, uh, things will go in stages and you might see um, counties or, or municipalities allowing 10 people to gather again. And when that period passes, 50 and then 200 and then 1,000 and so on and so on. Clearly, it's going to take a while because nobody wants to jump from nobody gathering to 16,000 in one leap. That's just not going to happen. So that will affect whether the NHL can have fans at their games once they start playing. Um, I suspect they will begin playing without any fans and then gradually begin to let more and more fans in uh, over a period of time. Uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, is how do you sequester the players the officials, the broadcasters, all the support people that it takes to put on a hockey game in an arena. And how do you test them all to make sure that they're not positive? Because we can't immunize anybody yet. There's no vaccine. So how do you test everybody? How often do you test them? Um, do I get to go home after doing a broadcast or do I go to a hotel that is just for uh, quarantined NHL personnel? And, and how do we travel? Do we do we go to other cities uh, or, or is it all occur in one area? These are all questions that the NHL is sorting through, trying to decide how to do it, trying to decide when to do it. 
But um, it would be great if there was a Stanley Cup champion for the 1920 season. Obviously, that's not going to be the Sharks. They weren't going to make the playoffs and aren't, no matter what. And, uh, but it would be great to see a champion. And then as for the next season, there's obviously going to have to be a break. And we may see that next season, the 2021 season, maybe doesn't start till 21. Maybe it doesn't start till January. I don't know. But these are all things that the NHL is, is working on. They have all kinds of models in place. It's a moving target. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, but uh, it will eventually get figured out. It's just a big question mark right now as to how. So would you support the neutral location uh, conversation that they were having, or would you be opposed to that? Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of anything that gets hockey played again and televised again. However, the, the business model of the National Hockey League is very different than the business model of the NFL. The NFL gets enough TV money every year to every team that pays all the players' salaries, all the operational costs of the franchise, to where every ticket that's sold is pure profit, every beer that's sold, every car that's parked, every T-shirt that's sold. In the NHL, the TV money is appreciated, but it probably, the amount the Sharks would get from the network TV package wouldn't pay Eric Carlson. So uh, they are very dependent on selling sweets, selling tickets, selling shirts, selling hot dogs, and so on and so on. So the business model is completely different, um, and we'll just have to see how that all works out. Um, so a neutral site still wouldn't allow any fans in the door, um, but it may allow the games to actually be presented back on television again. So I'm, I'm supportive of anything that gets us going again. I'm willing to go and be in the, the sterile environment and do whatever it takes to, to do our games. Uh, but we may also find that it makes more sense for the broadcasters to be in their home cities. And we found out now that remotely a lot can be done. So we may have a situation where I'm sitting in front of my uh, TV set that's, that's um, uh, streaming a, a, a digital feed from my computer. So game. Jamie Baker sitting in his house and Brett Hedekin sitting in his house, the other Sharks broadcasters, and we are all calling the game through microphones from our home as to what I mean. That, to me, is probably the most likely way that it's going to start for us um, because they'll want as few people as necessary in the actual facilities as they can. They're going to need medical people. They're going to need um, players and officials and coaches. But beyond that, they might try and keep as many people out as they can, and they probably would include us in that. That would be very interesting. I didn't even think of it like that. Trev, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so um, I could see I can see pushing it back. Uh, my only question is how would delaying the 21 season affect the seasons in the future? Are they going to play in a bridge season in 21, or are all of the seasons following going to start in January? It's just an interesting uh, way to look at it that way. Um, but as long as it takes to keep the players, broadcasters, operations staff stay safe, I'm sure that's the number one priority of the of the leaders in the league and the commissioner. Um, so whatever methods that they have to take to ensure the safety of everyone, I, I will be in support of that 100%. And as long as I can get to see hockey again. Yeah, we just, we just want hockey back. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Randy, we saw on the Twitters, in the Twitter world last week, um, looked like you were delivering some food to all the staff at the Shark Tank. Is that what was going on? No, it wasn't. Um, I, I've had a couple of things going on online on social media during the, uh, during the lockdown here. And uh, the first thing that I wanted to do was support my friends who own restaurants. Um, I live in the Bay Area here in Campbell, uh, which is a suburb of San Jose. And, you know, over a period of time, you, you have your favorite spots you like to go to, and you usually end up meeting the owners, and you, they usually end up being Sharks popular restaurants. And they're very generous people. They, they support the charity events that I'm involved in when I need a um, you know, a dinner for two voucher to go to a charity event that I'm involved with and things like that. These are all the people that, that I ask favors of, and they're always the first to uh, accommodate me. Well, they're now all in trouble. The restaurants are closed. Uh, the ones that are doing takeout and delivery are the ones I'm doing my best to support. So I've called it quorum dining, and I, I bring in food, either pick it up or have it uh, door dashed to my house. Um, I'm not for it to be um, comped on paying full price, which is the whole point to give this friends of mine who have been so supportive for me and then do a little review on video uh, or just do a still picture uh, for Twitter or whatever, uh, bounce back and forth doing that. And then the other thing I'm doing is uh, my girlfriend owns a, a cupcake shop called Frost, Frost Cupcake Factory. And because she's in the food service business and because she is not uh, a, a restaurant where people sit down, but she's only a, a takeout and uh, a delivery place, she's allowed to stay open. But she's had trouble keeping her staff in place due to people's fear of coming in contact with, with COVID, understandably. And so she needs someone to do her delivery, so I am the cupcake delivery man. So I drive around in this little Scion box car, which has got cupcake logos all over it. And uh, she won the, uh, the program Cupcake Wars on the Food Network a number of years ago. So, so there's all those kind of logos on it. And I bomb around the San Jose area uh, delivering cupcakes all day long. So um, that's my thing that I've got going on. What's the name of her shop? Frost Cupcake Factory. Frost Cupcake Factory. Well, everyone in the Bay Area, support Frost Cupcake Factory. Get your orders in. You might have Randy Hahn himself delivering your cupcakes. It could happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right trev why don't you go into uh trevor posted a meme um which caused a lot of interesting insight why don't you go into it a little bit trev right so i took my i took my inspiration from uh x sharks enforcer john scott he posted a message uh, a post on twitter rather that was asking who everybody's hockey mount rushmore would be and so I took that, I made it into a meme format, and I presented the question to our fans there on Shotgun Sports. Um, so my hockey route, Mount Rushmore, uh, consisted of Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, uh, Patrick Rua, and I was in a very, very tight battle between uh, my favorite player, Joe Thornton, or uh, Canadians, 70s Canadians legend, Guy Lafleur, and... Um, to myself, I said, Joe hasn't retired yet. We don't know how he's going to finish out his career. So tentatively, it's going to be Guy Lafleur until Jumbo retires. Then I'm going to swap him out for Jumbo. But that's my take. Um, so, Randy, I'd like to hear, if you don't mind, who would be on your hockey route, Mount Rushmore? Uh, well, I got four, right? Yep. Wayne Gretzky. Gordie Howe. Martin Brodeur. 
Mm-hmm. Scotty Bowman. Okay. Interesting. We haven't heard we haven't heard that one yet. That one's well, a good the one. Greatest coach in the history of the game, winning his coach in the history of the game, continues to uh, be a, a an influence in the sport, even though he's very close to eighty. He might already be in his eighties, but he still consults. I believe to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, through his son, Stan, who is the general manager. Um, and I believe is still a confidant of Gary Bettman. And they talk quite a bit about the game and uh, what a great resource for the commissioner to have the winningest coach ever um, who, you know, began winning cups in the sixties. And here we are uh, in 2020 and he's still able to contribute. So uh, I, I got to have him on there. Um, absolutely. And obviously leaving Mario Lemieux off is only because uh, I, I, I had to get somebody other than a, than a skater in there. So I threw Brodeur in as the goalie. But, uh, you know, you could go uh, Larry Robinson or somebody like Bobby Orr as well if you wanted to get a defenseman in there. But I'll, I'll pick Scotty as being uh, somebody that needs to be on that top four. Yeah. Very right. nice. Chad, how about you? I chose Wayne Gretzky, of course. I think everyone who ever plays this is going to choose Gretzky. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't care if he's retired or not. I got Alex Ovechkin, Gretzky 2.0. We know he's going to end his career on a high note. Gordy Howe, and I had a similar thought to Randy, except I went with defenseman, um, so I have no goalie, so I'm putting a lot of pressure on my defenseman, Nicholas Lidstrom. Solid choice. It's a very solid choice. So, All right, Randy, we've got a few questions here. Um we want to try and keep it short. So we're just going to fire a couple questions at you and just answer them how you see fit. If you feel uncomfortable answering it, by all means, you do not have to answer. Fire first away. one is, what is, your, what is your first hockey memory? Hockey memory of significance would be uh, the Team Canada – um, Super Series win over Russia, the eight-game series in 1972. Uh, I was in high school uh, in the Yukon Territory, and uh, we didn't have live television at that time in our community. So the, the, the champion for the winning goal uh, was on radio, and they broadcasted over the um, intercom system in our school uh, during the game. So classes weren't halted, but while you were in class, uh, you heard the game on the intercom and, uh, we were the game. We're all cheering and jumping up and down. And that's, that's one of my early events where, when I grew up, there were only six teams in the NHL. So as a Canadian kid, you were typically usually only a fan of either the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, being a Western Canadian kid, you were more inclined to uh, cheer for Toronto, which I did. And my favorite player was Dave Keon of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, later, as I continued to enjoy following that team, it became Daryl Sittler as one of my favorites as well. But uh, those are the kind of early hockey memories I had in my life. All right. So uh, for question two, um, what is your favorite game that you've ever called and why? Well, favorite game I ever called has to be game seven uh, this past spring in 2019. Uh, Sharks, Vegas, Golden Knights, round one. 
<laughs> and it goes to a seventh and deciding game. And, uh, you know, it's three, nothing Vegas, middle of the third period. And as a, as a local team broadcaster, I'm starting to think about what I'm going to say during the handshake to the fans. Uh, you know, obviously it looked like the shark season was going to end and you want to give them some hope for next year and things like that. So that's what's going through my mind at that point. And then the chain of events occurred. First, Cody Eakin off a of face-off cross-checks. Joe Pavelski, down goes Pavelski. Blood comes out of his helmet. And Eakin's thrown out of the game. Sharks get a five-minute power play. And then they go on to score four power play goals within that five minutes to take the lead. And all of a sudden, you, you think you've just seen the most incredible thing ever, only to have Vegas tie it late in the game on a goal by Jonathan Marchessault. And now you go to overtime. And then Barkley Goodrow scoring the winning goal and the Sharks complete one of the most remarkable comebacks in Stanley Cup playoff history. Uh, and by far, for me, not just the best hockey game I've ever called, it's the best sporting event I've ever witnessed personally in my life. It, nothing else rivals it. It was the ultimate roller coaster event. And uh, as far as uh, that goes, that would be the most uh, incredible game. Nothing else even, even touches it. But the, the most incredible goal for me, or the, the biggest goal for me, still goes belongs to uh, a guy who's now one of my broadcast colleagues, Jamie Baker, who in 1994 scored the winning goal in Game 7, first-round Sharks Detroit. And the Sharks were an eighth seed. It was only the third year of their existence. And they made the playoffs, snuck in as the eighth seed. They drew the one seed Detroit, uh, who were heavily favored, not just to win that series, but to win the Cup. And Baker scores, and the Sharks hang on and win Game 7, 3-2. to two and knock out the Red Wings. So for me, that's the biggest goal. And for sure, game seven against Vegas last year, the biggest game. That definitely was a good game, which actually is perfect for my next question. I'm a pretty big Vegas fan. How do you feel about PDB going over to Vegas? Well, I mean, it speaks to the kind of coach Pete DeBoer is, the the quality of coach he is. Um, And, uh, you know, it would have been, very strange to have the Sharks meet Vegas this year. But obviously, uh, if the Sharks were a playoff team this year, Pete DeBoer would have never been fired. So that wouldn't have never happened. Um, great for Pete. Great for Steve Spot. Those two move on. Uh, terrific hockey people. Um, and, uh, you know, wish them nothing but luck, except for the uh, five times a year that they play the Sharks. And, uh, you know, good good people and, you know, uh, smart on um, – Kelly McCrimmon for identifying a, a quality coach and um, good luck, as I say, to, to DeBoer and, and spot, except when we play them. Awesome. Yeah. We're very excited to welcome both of them to our coaching staff. So Randy, we really want to thank you for being here with us today. We appreciate you taking time out of your day and we certainly appreciate the insight you've given us. Um, that's all we got for you guys today. Uh, you guys have anything you want to add on? No, just- well, thanks for having me on. Wish you best of luck with the podcast. And uh, as soon as we sign off here, uh, I insist that both of you wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. We definitely will. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Randy. Huge, uh, huge honor to be able to talk to you. I've been, I've been a fan for a long time. I appreciate you coming on and I'll get right to wash my hands as soon as we log off. My pleasure. Thanks guys. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Boys.